back for another episode of Mastering Love and Life with me, your host, Clifton Brantley. Still in this series on the mind. And today I want to talk to you about your biggest enemy. Talk about your biggest, the biggest enemy you will face on the planet. And guess what? Your biggest enemy is not Satan. As crazy as that is, I think that's that's so interesting. But your biggest enemy is not Satan. Now, your biggest enemy, it is demonically influenced, but it's not Satan. Your biggest enemy is your inner me. Yep. Your biggest enemy is your inner me. Les Brown says, if you can conquer the enemy within, the enemy on the outside can do you no harm. And I believe that to be 100% true. Right? Your biggest enemy is your enemy. Listen, when we arrive on the planet, we have no idea how to be human. Right? When you first come here as an infant, a newborn, you don't know anything about this world. Right? You have no idea how to do how, how to do how to be a human on this planet. The way that you were parented formed your core beliefs about yourself. Right? I don't know if you knew that, but the way that your parents parented you, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, that formed your core beliefs about yourself. Your core beliefs about yourself, uh, they are the reason that your life looks the way that it looks. It, <laughs> I know that may sound, yeah, that's kind of extreme. My beliefs make up, you know, my life looks the way it looks because of my beliefs. Yeah, your core, your core beliefs about yourself, what you believe about you, there's a direct correlation between what you believe about you and the way your life looks. Yeah, it's the, re it's the reason you fear the way you fear or fear what you fear. The reason, it's the reason you are so sensitive. It's the reason uh, you don't think you have a voice, right? The reason you think nothing but bad happens to you. I, something bad is always happening to me. The reason you think that is because of your core beliefs about you. Even the reason that you think you are not good enough. The reason you react the way you do in your relationships, the way you show up in your relationships, it's a direct correlation to your core beliefs about yourself. And your core beliefs also help determine how people treat you. Yeah. How people treat you. Half the time, you think they are treating you a certain way when they're not. And you know this to be true. Sometimes you think people are treating you bad and they're not treating you bad. But you, you know, and I actually, I don't even know if you know that, but you may hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. And maybe you'll be able to look back and point at some situations where, you know what? I was blaming them 
for how I was feeling or I was blaming them for what was going on in my life. But actually, it was me. You have to time you think they're treating you a certain way when they're not. But then the other half, uh, they are treating you the way that you taught them to treat you. Did, do, did you realize that we teach people how to treat us in a variety of ways? But one of the main ways we do that is with boundaries. Hey, 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 you can't treat me that way. You can't talk to me that way. The answer is no, right? We, we teach people how to treat us by what we tolerate, what we put up with, okay? Uh, the, the, way, the way that you connect or your lack of connection, it's based on what you learned growing up by the way that you were treated. Some people don't know how to connect. It's because of childhood. Some people are afraid to connect. It's because of childhood. And the problem is that you are still processing your world with a child's mind. You're still processing your world with a child's mind. See, if a child gets yelled at, the child thinks that it's their fault for being yelled at. Right? If, if a child gets in trouble... The child thinks it's my fault that I'm getting in trouble. Now, sometimes the child may do something. But the point is, I'll stick with the yelling. If a child gets yelled at, the child thinks that it's their fault for being yelled at. Right? The child's, When you yell at a child, you're being disrespectful. More times than not. Unless you're trying to keep them out the street. Hey, get out that street. That's different. Right? Uh, but we don't yell at human beings. But when a child is yelled at and they think it's their fault, in order then so that they don't get yelled at, they will try to change their behavior to prevent that result or that consequence. You understand what I'm saying? So, so a child's mind, they believe, if you're yelling at me, it's my fault. So what I need to do is change my behavior so that you won't disrespect me like that anymore. But then when it happens again, the child believes they didn't do a good enough job of being good so that they wouldn't get yelled at. So guess what they do? They try harder. Now, the more the child does this, the more they lose touch with their true self, what we call their true self, right? Because they're trying, to, they're trying to please the parent so that I don't get yelled at because they think being yelled at is their fault. They work hard to become the person that they think they need to become to survive the pain of childhood. But all the while, they're still believing that it is their fault that they are being treated the way they're being treated. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say that again, okay, because that was kind of long. So when a child is being mistreated, the child thinks it's their fault. The child changes its behavior to prevent the mistreatment, right? And in essence, the child is trying to be, quote, unquote, good enough. 
The more the child does this, then the more the child loses touch with their true self. And that is because they are working so hard to become the person that they think they need to be in order to survive the mistreatment that they create a false self. But all the while they're doing that, they're still believing that the mistreatment is their fault. And if they were good enough, then they wouldn't be treated this way. Here's the problem. Uh, so you go through that in childhood and then that helps form your core beliefs, right? That helps form your core beliefs about yourself. So the child may conclude, um, I'm not lovable or I'm not, you know, uh, you know, I, I talked about having, a, I don't have a voice. I can't speak up for myself. If I, if I speak up for myself, I'm going to get punished, right? Now that you are an adult, yeah, this, this, this is the problem. Now that you are an adult, you still believe that whatever happens to you today, it's about you. You still believe that when people treat you bad, when people make you upset, when you, when you lose your job, when, when somebody you know, cuts you off in traffic, you believe all of that is about you. How do I know? Because the only way you can take something personal is when you believe that it's about you and you take everything personal. So if your friend doesn't have time to hang out with you, you think it's because of you. So you take it personal. All right. When your husband points out something he doesn't like, your feelings are hurt because you still carry the pain of not being perfect just like you did in childhood. All right? You think you don't have a voice because you think someone needs to give you permission to speak like in your childhood. What you did in childhood is what we call adaptive behavior, right? Adaptive adaptive behavior. It's when the child does whatever they need to do in order to survive. Right? It happens all the time. Like, like if, if, if your dad's an alcoholic to survive that situation, you got to adapt. Like you got to change some things, right? What did you have to do to survive? What, what, what did you have to change about yourself to survive? Did you have to be invisible? Right? That's my thing. Uh, if I look back at my childhood, uh, I was invisible. And that worked for me as a kid, or so you think, right? Uh, but what, what, what did you have to do to survive? Did you have to hold your feelings and thoughts in, right? Could you, were you not allowed to express yourself? Did you have to shoulder, uh, did you have to comfort a parent? Did you have, did they have to lean on your shoulder? Like you had to be their support system which is abuse, abusive for a child, by the way, right? Did you have to be hypersensitive to a parent's mood, like an alcoholic? Like, did you have to always know what mood your parents were in? Did you have to be opinionless? Like, did, could you have, did you have to swallow your opinions? You couldn't express them, right? Whatever you did to survive, you were adapting to your environment. 
But when you became an adult and you still have those same childhood responses to your environment, we now call that maladaptive behavior, right? It's not adaptive behavior anymore. It's maladaptive. Uh, maladaptive. Mal, we put mal in front. Mal means bad or abnormal, right? You know, like, like, like malpractice or malfunction, okay? Maladaptive. Maladaptive is when you use your old ways of coping as a child. You use that to cope as an adult today. That's maladaptive because what you need, even, even, and that's true, even with outside of dysfunction, like what you had to do as a child to survive or to just be you are not the same things, same things you have to do as an adult. What once kept you safe in childhood is now a prison that you live in. Yeah. When you were growing up, you needed to be the one your parent leaned on. Now that you're an adult, you don't have boundaries and you can't say no because you believe your role in life is to be there for everybody. When you were growing up, you had to keep your opinions and thoughts to yourself. Now that you're an adult, you don't expect your needs, wants, or desires. You just hold them in. Because that's not what you learned about how you're supposed to show up in life. When you were growing up, you were shamed for getting a B. But now as an adult, you try to be perfect in everything you do because you are afraid of being seen as less than perfect. That obviously is a heavy mantle because you'll never be perfect. That's called maladaptive behavior. What you had to do to survive is not the blueprint for how to thrive. What you had to do to survive is not the blueprint for how to, for how to thrive. What you did in one season of your life because you had to, is not an indication of how you should have to live the rest of your life. You feel me? Like, you had to do this over here, but that doesn't mean you have to do it over there. That reminds me of a, of a, um, a story that I heard a, a, my old pastor uh, tell one time. So he said there was this lady who, um, she made Sunday dinner for her family. And the husband was like, baby, this is the best ham I've ever had in my entire life. Like, this ham is amazing. I don't know how you can make a ham this good, but I have a question. I'm just curious. Why did you cut the end off the ham? Because my mama made hams, and, and, like, and her ham was good. Your ham is better than my mama ham. But she didn't cut the butt off the end. Like, why you cut the butt off the end of, of your ham? And the wife says, well, I got that from my mother. My mom was the best ham cooker in the world. And she taught me how to make ham. Whenever she made her ham, she always cut the end off. So I did what my mama taught me to do. And that's why my ham is so tasty. Husband's like, huh, how interesting is that? 
Thanksgiving comes around. Now they go to mom's house, mother-in-law, right? So mother-in-law bakes a ham, and sure enough, husband's like, oh, my goodness. I thought that my wife's ham was amazing. But mother-in-law, your ham is off the chain. Like, this is, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. I didn't think ham could be better than my wife's ham. But I'm curious. He said, why do you cut the end off your ham? Because I asked my wife, you know, why she cut the end off her ham. And she said that you were the best ham cooker and she got it from you. And so now I figured I'd get it from, from the horse's mouth, not calling you a horse, uh, mother-in-law, mistaken in words. But, but why you cut the ham off the end of your, your, your ham? Like, what does that do? Mother-in-law says, well, my mother taught me how to make ham and she was truly the world's most amazing ham cooker in the history of ham cookers and she always cut the end off the end of her ham husband's like wow this is pretty that's pretty interesting christmas comes around now they are at grandma's house right the, the wife's grandmother's house when the husband tasted her ham he about fell out his chair he about lost the rest of his mind. He was like, okay, okay, okay. Now I see where they get their cooking skills from. Mother-in-law, I thought your ham was good. And I thought my wife's ham was good. But this right here, oh, yeah, this 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 off the chain. But, Grandma, I am so confused now, right, because... When my wife makes her ham, she cuts the end off. And when I asked her why, she said that she got it from her mom. And then when I asked mother-in-law, your daughter, about her amazing ham and why the end was cut off, she said she got it from you. Why is the ham cut off? Because I'm looking at your ham and the butt is not cut off. And grandmother says, oh, they still doing that? I made ham that way because my pan was too small. And the point of the story is, sometimes we're doing things for reasons that don't make sense anymore. How you are living made sense when you were trying to survive, but it, but it don't make sense today. You're living in a way that is not congruent, that does not line up with where you are today. Being trapped in the prison of your past will prevent you from experiencing the beauty of now. Oh, there's beauty of now. See, here's the thing I've learned about life. Life is not fair or unfair. It's just life. And life is going to do what it does. Life is going to life. The reason why some people enjoy life on the planet and some don't, it's only because what's going on in your mind. That is the, uh, it's not about how much money you make. I promise you, it's not whether you have money or not. It's not whether you have struggles or not. Everybody's going to have struggles. It's not whether you have sickness or not. It is all based on what's going on in your mind and what you believe about you and what you believe about life. 
Yeah. That is why you notice more about what is wrong in your life than what is right. It's because you are trapped in the past. And the truth is, now that you are an adult and you understand life way better than you did as a child, you can look back on your childhood and change the meaning of what happened to you. You can't change what happened, right? You, 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 you cannot change the past, but you can absolutely change what it means. When it was happening to you as a child, you could not understand fully because as an egocentric child, you believed everything was about you. But now as an adult, you can look back and reframe what happened. But here's the thing. Satan wants to keep you stuck in the past so that you never realize who you really are, who God created you to be. That's his plan. And, and he has some folk, some of you are what we call self-check. Like, you know, when we're playing basketball, uh, somebody self-check. That means, like, you don't really have to guard them. They're going to turn it over. They're going to miss the shot. They're not going to do anything productive. So we don't even have to really pay a whole lot of attention to them. The devil does some of us like that. Because you're not doing anything with your life anyway. You think the devil is always on your neck. He don't have to be. You stay on your own neck. You keep you down. The devil don't have to bother with you. And his plan is to keep you stuck in the past so that you never realize who you truly are. You never realize who God created you to be. Let me tell you a story about Joseph real quick. So Joseph was the youngest of 12 brothers, right? His dad favored him. His dad played favoritism and uh, that made his brothers hate him. Now, Joseph played a part in that, too, you know, with his boasting, whatever. But his brothers didn't like him. So one day, Joseph is coming. So his brothers are together, and Joseph is coming towards them. And when they see him, they create a plan to kill him. I say, you know what? Let's kill him. Uh, and then throw him in one of these, uh, these pits out here in the wilderness. And then we're going to see what becomes of dad's favorite child. You know, dad liked him so much, let's kill him. Right? Uh, but then one of the brothers was like, well, no, let's not kill him. Like, just let's just throw him into the pit. We throw him into the pit and then he'll die on his own and we won't have to, you know, we'll have to have no blood on our hands because he is our brother. You know, let's not get blood on our hands. So they threw him into the pit with the, 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 the decision to, they was going to let him die. Now watch this. The Bible says they threw him in the pit. They, they went to have lunch. <laughs> so they're sitting there having lunch, but then they see this caravan coming. Okay, a caravan of camels coming. So then one of the brothers was like, hey, if we kill him, we won't gain anything. Let's sell him instead. Like, we don't have to kill him. We can just sell him off. And then we're going to take his coat and we're going to put some blood on it. And we're going to tell dad that he was killed by an animal. Okay, let's let's do that. So they sold Joseph into slavery or, or they sold him. I don't know if he sold him in slavery, but they sold him. And so he got taken to Egypt, right? Now, Joseph in Egypt, he ends up working in this guy's name, Potiphar's house, right? He, he's working for Potiphar. Uh, you know, let's say he's, you know, he's the house manager. Well, one day Mrs. Potiphar 
looking at Joseph as a young man. She's like, I think I want a piece of that. So she makes a pass at Joseph. And Joseph, like, no, we can't do that. Like, that's my boss. I can't betray him like that. And she grabs him. And to get away from her, he had to leave his coat in her hand. Well, when Potiphar came home, Mrs. Potiphar lied on Joseph, said, that Hebrew that you brought in here, he tried to rape me. Potiphar gets angry, throws him in prison. So now Joseph, first of all, he was coming to meet his brothers, right? They didn't like him. They threw him into a pit. He got sold. Now, some years later, he's in Egypt. He gets falsely accused. Now the brother is in prison. Guess what? He wasn't in prison overnight. He wasn't in prison for six months. He was in prison for some years, two, maybe three years. I, I have to go back and look at the story. My point is, so for me, if I'm, if I'm transparent and honest, for me, for Clifton Eugene Brantley, spending more than a day in prison is extremely torturous for me. Like I can't, I can't imagine being in Texas State Prison. You understand? So, and then especially for something I didn't do, Joseph is in prison because of a lie. But then uh, Joseph ends up getting out of prison because of a gift that he has that God gave him of, of interpreting dreams. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh gets him out of prison, makes him second command of the whole land. Right? You following me? So Joseph, Joseph has gone from the pit to the prison. Now he's in Pharaoh's palace. Right? And he's second in command. Pharaoh made him second in command. So then a famine in the land, the whole land breaks out. So now Joseph brothers, this is way years later, years, years later, Joseph brothers, because they don't have food, they have to come to Egypt to try to get food. They don't recognize that Joseph is the one in charge, but Joseph recognizes them. Right. So this whole cat and mouse thing goes back and forth. And then uh, eventually Joseph tells him, hey, I'm your long lost brother that you sold off way back when. When I ain't do y'all nothing and y'all sold me, they got scared because now Joseph is in power and he has the authority to have them executed on the spot. But here's what Joseph said. And this is the whole point of me telling this whole story. Joseph said, don't be afraid. I'm not going to harm you. Why? Because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. In spite of all Joseph went through, Joseph had a God perspective. Now, Joseph could have harbored bitterness. As a matter of fact, I would imagine at some point, like when probably in Potiphar's house, definitely in prison. The, the scripture doesn't tell us, but it's realistic for me to believe he may have been a little salty while he was in prison. Because the only reason he's in prison is because of the foolishness of his brothers in the first place. Yeah, I know Potiphar's wife lied. But she wouldn't have had an opportunity to lie if y'all hadn't sold me. But at some point, when he got to a better place, uh, a better blessing, when he was able to then look back over his life and what God had done for him, Joseph had a God perspective on his past. And he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I don't think he could have saw that while he was going through it. He saw that in hindsight, right? Not while he's still in it. And so my point to you is this. If you look at your past, 
with a God perspective, then you too can say, what your mama meant for evil, God meant for good. Because you need a God perspective. What your dad meant for evil, God meant for good. What your abuser meant for evil, God meant for good. You got to have a God perspective. But the reason that you can't do this is because you are still trapped by the meaning that you gave your past when you were a child, when you were going through it. See, going through it, you thought everything was about you. And now here today, as an adult, you still believe that was about you. You need a different perspective. You're wiser, right? You understand life better. Change the meaning of what happened to you in the past. Slavery, slavery in America, chattel slavery in America ended in the 1800s. This is 2023. And you, my friend, are still enslaved by your own beliefs about yourself. Yeah, your beliefs about yourself affect your beliefs about God. But here's what the word says. The word says, whom the son sets free is free indeed. So if you are in Christ specifically, you've been set free, but you are living in an imaginary prison. Believing the lies of your past. Don't live in an imaginary prison believing the lies of your, of your past. Believe what God says about you. And here's the sad thing. Sadly, sadly, some of you listening to me will understand and agree with what I'm saying. But you will still choose to live as if you are still a child. You're going to make the choice. I'm still going to, like, you're not going to change. Sadly, some people have been living so long in their false self that they believe their false self is their true self. Yeah, it's a false self. Here's some indications that you are doing life based on negative core beliefs, okay? Uh, you still wait for someone to make it okay for you to speak up for yourself. Like you still can't express yourself unless somebody, you know, gives you space for that. You better take some space. You're a human being. Another indication, you expect people to know what you need without you telling them. That only happens in the movies. Here's another one. You get angry easily. But that ain't the only part. Not only do you get angry easily, right? But the level of your anger is always disproportionate to whatever made you angry. In other words, you get angry at something, but you, your anger is at level 10 when the offense was at level 2. Now, here's, here's, here's another indication that you're still living life based on negative core beliefs. You don't like you. Right? You don't like yourself, whether you think you're ugly, whether you think you're dumb, uh, whether you think you're clumsy, whether you think you're boring, whether you think you're not good enough. All of these are self-judgments 
All of these are self-judgments that you would not be able to make without outside influence. All of these are self-judgments that you would not be able to make without outside influence. In other words, you did not come to these conclusions and judgments on your own or out of the blue. Right? If, if, if you had not interacted with broken people, you would not think about you, the negative things that you think about you. It just wouldn't happen. Another indication that you are still trapped by your child, your, your child mind, right, is you're always putting yourself on the back burner for others, but then you don't get that in return. That used to be my vice, right? I'm very familiar with that. See, growing up, I was my mom's friend. I, I, I was never her son. And so because of that, I developed a life without boundaries and I developed a life of people pleasing or being the rescuer or being, you know, I, I, I had to be the savior for everybody. Now, for a long time, I thought I thought that's who I was. I thought that was my role in life. But when I got rid of my child mind and began to embrace the true self that God created me to be, I stopped being the shoulder for everybody, right? Now, yeah, there are still remnants of that. You know, no, no, what, was, what am I, not remnants. There are still uh, consequences. I still have lingering consequences sometimes for choices that I made in the past when I allowed people to be too dependent on me or I was too dependent on other folk. But I still can say that uh, I don't live in that prison anymore. When you live life this way, you will always be dependent on things on the outside of you, whether it be people or objects, to determine what you deserve. Yeah, When you live in a way, when you're living in your childhood mind, or not childhood mind, but your child mind, your immature mind, you're always going to be dependent on things outside of you, whether it be people or objects, to determine what you deserve, right? In a relationship, you're going to make your partner responsible for what they're not responsible for. You're going to make your partner responsible for your happiness, your value, whether or not you are good enough. Do you, do you realize, this is crazy to me, do you realize that the human being is the only part of God's creation that is measured by whether it is good enough or not. Now, it shouldn't be that way, but it's the only part of creation where, where we question what, like, a lion is just a lion. What is a good enough lion? What is a good enough tree? If it's a tree and it's made out of wood, which makes it a tree, what, what makes a tree a good enough tree? What makes a blade of grass good enough? A cloud. What makes a cloud in the sky good enough? It doesn't make sense, does it? Well, my friend, you are just a human. That's it. You're, you're a human being. 
a good enough human makes no sense, just like a good enough cloud makes no sense. It, it's, it, think about it. You are the only you on the entire planet. This is a big planet. Seven billion folk. You are the only you on the whole planet. Are you saying you are not good enough? You're not a good enough Chris. You're not a good enough Corey. You're not a good enough Larry. You're not a good enough Shamika. You're not a good enough Stacy. What do you mean? If you are the only you, who then can determine if you're good enough? Here's the problem. You believe you are who your childhood determined you to be. You're still getting your identity from your parents. And that's cool at first. You don't have a choice. But as an adult, your identity has to come from God. See, I, was, I had a conversation with my wife last night, and I realized this is what I believe. Childhood is supposed to represent your relationship with God. What do I mean by that? Well, Adam and Eve was created. Uh, God created man in his image. And then the husband and wife, uh, the union of the husband and wife represents uh, God's relationship with himself and the union of the Trinity, right? So when a child is born, who's the child's higher power? The parents. So as far as the child knows, the parent is God. Now, they may not understand, obviously, you know, that's God in that way. But the child has a higher power called parents. The child is 100% dependent upon the parents. In other words, the child is 100% dependent upon its higher power. And I believe that's an indication of how our adulthood is supposed to be. So here's the thing. Because of that reality, the child obviously is going to get their initial identity or part of their identity as a human being from the other human beings, from their God human beings. Put it that way. From, from, from the God with flesh. That's what Adam means, God with flesh. God-like with flesh. So the child gets its identity, its earthly identity, from the parents. Now, why do we get so jacked up? Well, because the image of God, uh, the God that he put in Adam and Eve, it got corrupted with sin when sin entered. So now the image of God in the planet is not perfect anymore. It used to be perfect, but now it's not perfect, right? So, so the identity that we come out of childhood with, it'll never be accurate. Never. But that's okay. That identity is supposed to teach me how to be a human being. Now, it taught me some bad stuff about being a human being, but it's supposed to be a human being. But then when I become an adult, I'm supposed to model that relationship again. So now as an adult, I am 100% dependent, supposedly, on my higher power, which is the Lord Jesus. My God is now my higher power with whom I get my identity from. But see, some of you are still stuck in your identity that your childhood gave you. 
the, what you learned about yourself in childhood, you still think that's you. You got to go to God, the one who created you. See, your parents gave you an identity of how to be human on the planet, and that's flawed. But the identity that God has for you, it is eternal. God told Jeremiah, before, not after, not during, right? What does before mean? Before means before. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. How is that possible? It's possible because, well, oh, oh, not only did he say before I formed you, I knew you, but before I formed you, I also, watch this, called you. So wait a minute. God tells Jeremiah, I called you before you even had a conscious. I called you before you were even born. I called you before you did anything good or bad. I called you before you were abused and I also called you before you told any lie. I called you knowing what you I knew all the sin you was going to do. I knew all the rights and wrongs you were going to do. I called you not because of you, but because of me. How is that? Because before Jeremiah was in his mother's womb, he was in God's mind. And that's when God called him. You remember back in Genesis when God blew the breath of life into Adam's nostrils and man became a living soul, right? Well, that breath that he blew in was the spirit. And so God is saying to Jeremiah, the spirit of you, I knew before it connected with your body and your consciousness. And that's the part of you that I call because that's the part of you that is eternal. We bring that to here, getting your identity, your earthly identity from your parents. Number one is going to be flawed because the parents aren't flawed, right? Because the sin came in, it's not going, it's not going to be perfect. So you're going to have some injuries, right? But now when you're an adult, you're supposed to get your identity from God, your eternal identity, so that then you can do the work that he has called you to before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. But you are still stuck on the identity that the pain of your past has convinced you who you are. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Your biggest enemy will always be your inner me. If your life sucks, you did it. But that also means that you're the one that can decide to undo it. Yeah, when you decide to do the unparts of your life that suck by rejecting the false identity you've been living in and embracing the identity God gave you before you were formed, in your mother's womb that is when you will be on the road to living the abundant life that Jesus promised yeah yeah he's Jesus said I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly but he didn't say uh, I'm, I'm coming to make you have an abundant life no, that's not what he said. 
He said, I come so that you can, but you have to decide to live it. And believing that you can't is also believing that God is a liar. Did you, did you hear what I said? I said that when you believe you cannot live an abundant life, then you also have to believe that God is lying. I hope this was helpful for you. I hope this helps you get out of your own way, conquer your inner me and live life in real life. Y'all take care.